Hello, listeners. It's Dustin and Connor dropping in right before the podcast you're about to listen to to um, talk about some unfortunate news and uh, to give our stance on some stuff. So, you are about to listen to a review of one of the original Spyro the Dragon video games, one of the three original PlayStation games. Um, you know, we're going to drop this message in front of all of them. Recently, the publisher of the remakes of those games, Spyro the Reunited Trilogy, uh, published by Activision Blizzard, has come under some pretty heavy fire for uh, their treatment of, in particular, women in the workplace. Um, we won't just we won't discuss like the particulars here. Uh, we talked about them on a report a little bit, but there's also just better sources for that. Uh, one link we will drop in the description. Uh, an excellent uh, IGN article by Kat Bailey. Um, I read it this morning. It's pretty. It, it's some gnarly stuff. So just a warning on that. But yeah, we wanted to come uh, before the uh, these episodes to talk about. Uh, just just to really discourage people from buying new Activision Blizzard products. Um, you know, Connor, I think it's fair to say we're about to give, you know, no matter which episode, a pretty positive review um, of the Reignited, specifically, version of Spyro. Yeah, and I think we might have actually said, you know, check out the Reignited trilogy version, because those are, like, good and easy to get. Um, we would discourage you from buying them new or digitally because that directly supports this company that is doing some pretty heinous actions um so if you can find it used that would be a much preferred way of getting it otherwise you know just find the originals those would also be a good way of doing it and then um you know there's always definitely not emulation is definitely not an option to you i mean you're joking i'm just gonna say it go ahead and emulate them it's fine <laughs> go ahead and emulate the originals if you you know in this case i'm gonna say it if you if you have the know-how how to pirate stuff go ahead just don't support this company new right now um which is unfortunate i can already you know i can hear some people saying but isn't it all on the blizzard side of activision it's like yeah but also that money goes to the publisher and it's really unfortunate i feel terrible for the workers there as anybody should um and there's that's where your support should go so if you're curious about spyro they're great games they were great games back in the day they're still great games you know find a way to obtain them that doesn't involve supporting activision i would recommend maybe if you have a local used game store or something go support them instead of um you know this large corporation who honestly doesn't deserve your money (laughs) Um, anyway um i want to say thank you for for listening to us and um yeah, enjoy the review. It, it's we had a lot of fun making these. Um, they're they're good times, but yeah, just just once again, please don't buy new. <laughs> However you obtain it, just don't buy new. Yep, and enjoy the episode. Yes, bye. Hello and welcome to another fire episode of Save Station Radio. I am your host Dustin, and with me as always is Connor. Hello there. And this week we are all fired up to discuss Insomniac Games' Spyro the Dragon. Spyro the Dragon. It's been a long time coming this episode. It has. Uh, Released on September 9th, 1998 originally, and then it was remade as part of the Reignited Trilogy... 
which was developed by Toys for Bob, and released November 13th, 2018, 20 years after its original release for PS4 and Xbox One. And then the Reunited Trilogy origi- uh, was then ported to Switch and PC September 3rd, 2019. Uh, the PlayStation version never went anywhere else, unfortunately. The original PlayStation 1 version, yes. Yeah. no, un- Unfortunately, I wish. Could you imagine a smooth Dreamcast version of this game? Or even just a PC release. Let's talk about Insomniac games themselves. Yes, that Insomniac. You may know them for their recent releases of uh, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart and the Spider-Man games. They've been around since the early 90s. Founded in 1994 uh, by Ted Price and Alex Hastings, Uh, they were originally named Extreme Software. And now, Connor, I want you to take a stab. How did they spell Extreme? Oh, it was, what, 1994? Uh, It has to be Xtreme. Hell yeah, it was. The only way to spell it. (laughs) If you're in the 90s. But they weren't that extreme, apparently, because they uh, changed it after... They received a threatening letter from a database company named the same thing. <laughs> the other extreme software. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you may not know. You may know. Oh, yeah. Insomniac created Spyro the Dragon. You may not know about their first game, though. The first game they wanted to create was a Doom-esque game. Well, yeah. It was 1994. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Everyone wanted to make a Doom game. They set out to create a game called Disruptor. Uh, And Disruptor originally started production as a 3DO exclusive. 3DO was an old console that did not take off. Yeah, I think the 3DO, nowadays you'll mainly see a lot of just FMV games. It's like the Sega CD in that way, where it's like mainly the only things released on it are are FMV movie games. I believe maybe Tomb Raider? The first Tomb Raider was like first release there but like yeah, obviously nobody thinks about that yeah <laughs> it's it's an interesting one um they shifted development to the playstation once that was like once it was clear that that was not going to be um feasible there's some interesting like dev kit shenanigans along with that that you can look up for yourself but they did finish work on disruptor it was released in 1996 interestingly speaking of fmv disruptor features fmv cutscenes. Uh, the team thought this would be easier than doing pre-rendered video, uh, and since the publisher was Universal, they figured, I don't know, you do movie stuff, let's, uh, let's get together. Come on, multimedia. Yeah, because I think we mentioned this in the Crash Bandicoot, one of the Crash Bandicoot episodes, that um, Insomniac was like pretty close with Naughty Dog in those early days. They were also... Um, it might have even been Naughty Dog that got Insomniac the deal with Universal. Uh, so they had, you know, the resources. They were doing their Disruptor game. And then later on, we get the full Spyro Crash compare, or buddy ship right. afterward. Highly recommend people go look up some footage of Disruptor. Specifically the FMB cutscenes. They are atrocious. It's well, Yeah, I mean, that's special. to be expected. It's really interesting. Um, I don't think I pulled it for this, but I guess the set designer went on to direct Twilight. (laughs) So there's a fun fact for you. Fair enough. (laughs) Yes, but after that, um, unfortunately, Disruptor did not do too well. So at the suggestion of Mark Cerny, um, and again, if you listen to our Crash Bandicoot episodes, you probably remember that name. But if not, he is currently, you probably know him for being the architect on the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 4. Kind of a big deal, that guy. 
Yeah, but he's been around since the early days of the PS1 helping publish stuff. Yes. Um, the developer of Marble Madness, I think, was the game he made. But regardless, he suggested that Insomniac maybe turn their attention and create a more family-friendly title because the PlayStation was lacking in those. So that is where Spiral the Dragon was born. Um, around the same time as he was suggesting that Alex Hastings created a new engine uh, that was focused on panoramic views for sort of more open worlds and an LOD system, which if you don't know means level of detail, which is something that most modern games use. Yeah, most games have been using it for the past like 15 years. Yes, and this is a very early and innovative example of it. But it it is essentially, if you don't know, it's essentially like in your game world, you're rendering two different models for things at the same time. One is a high detailed one that you'd see up close, and then one is a low detailed one for the distance. And as you would approach the low detailed one, they would swap it out for a higher detailed one um, to save on resources. Uh, And ideally, the player would never see it. It's sort of like a a game engine trickery stuff. It's really interesting. Yeah, because if something's small in the distance, you're not going to notice all the details. So they're like, oh, we don't have to render that. Um, Modern games will often have like between three and five different versions of an object for different distances. But um, for these early days, they were a little bit more limited. Yeah, and as I said, it it wasn't, like, the, the, this was one of the first major examples of it. It wasn't the first. Um, actually, Mario 64 has a pretty notable example of it in the uh, first level in Bomb on Battlefield. Once you do the first star, uh, the camera zooms out, and if you're playing it on an HD display, you can really tell, but you can see that Mario's, like, nicer model gets swapped out for an even blockier one. Yeah, because they're trying to render more polygons, so Mario doesn't need all of those polygons. We'll put them somewhere else. Yeah, and another one you may be aware of, um, the first release, and I believe it's still this way, of Halo 5, there was some pretty obvious um, LOD artifact-like stuff happening in the background. They did it with frame rate, which is interesting. Like, enemies in the background would run at half the frame rate, (laughs) which is weird and super noticeable and not a great idea. (laughs) Because everybody went, that's weird. But I, I pulled this quote, and I believe this is from the IGN interview. Um, and, and as always, with all this stuff, all of our research links are in the description if you want to go check it out. And with this one, I highly recommend you do, because I found some pretty good stuff. A lot of uh, web archive stuff, which I always yeah. love. Yeah, so it may be a, bit, a bit of a pain to access, but yeah. But this is a Ted Price quote. Uh, we discussed the opportunity to create more of a fairy tale world uh, with an anthropomorphic dragon, and the, at the same time, Al Hastings was working on a brand new engine for the PlayStation. Its strength was open worlds, where you could see great distances. That really worked well with this idea that we could have a dragon that flew around or glided. It worked well for a game which would support vistas, big open views. That was, at the time, an anomaly. You don't see a lot of games on the PlayStation that really took advantage of the hardware in that way. And he's right. (laughs) Spyro is very... um, there aren't a lot of games that look like Spyro on the PlayStation. It's a really interesting thing. Yeah, because for a lot of the games on the PlayStation, they were, and especially platformers, they were focused on just the stuff that's around your character. So if you think about Crash, it's obviously it has the fixed camera angle, so they know exactly what's going to be on the screen, and they can put more detail into just that. But they don't have very expansive environments where you get to wander around freely. So Spyro's really an anomaly in this, and it's an anomaly that it looks this good. 
Yeah, for sure. It's um, it's pretty rare. And like you said, yeah, like games like Crash Bandicoot and uh, Metal Gear or something that, that use those fixed camera angles to sort of limit what you're able to see. Uh, you know, other developers like Resident Evil would have pre-rendered backgrounds. Um, so they were flat images, so they weren't like truly explorable worlds. Um, and you think about the other games that are 3D like Spyro, you think about stuff like Silent Hill, which they literally had to come up with, you know, a gimmick around the world to justify why it was so foggy. (laughs) Yeah, to limit the amount of stuff that you could see. So, yeah, the PlayStation could do some pretty impressive stuff, but it had to have really creative workarounds. And this level of detail engine was the best workaround possible because it allowed you to still see what was happening. Yeah, super interesting. Uh, let's uh, let's discuss Spyro himself. Um, as we said earlier, a, a sort of 3D platforming adventure. So some stuff about that. Uh, his original inspiration was the film Dragonheart. Have you ever seen this? I don't think I've ever seen it. I don't think I have either. But apparently that's a sort of more dark and gritty tone, um, which is what the developers said they were going with originally. Um, and originally Spyro's name was Pete, uh, which was then changed to... <laughs> Due to being worried about being sued by Disney for, you know. For Pete's Dragon. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, he was changed to Pyro, which then was considered to be um, a little too mature even still. So they changed, so they added an S basically <laughs> and made it Spyro. For the game design, Insomniac was inspired by Mario 64. Um, Brian Hastings, which I believe is Alex Hastings' brother, um, worked on the controls and... Yeah, he said they were inspired by uh, Mario 64 again. He, he wanted to recreate Mario 64 as what he called fun factor because he noticed it was just simply fun to run around in that game. So that was sort of his philosophy when creating the the sort of basic design, gameplay design philosophy around Spyro. He, he, he essentially said he wanted to make it fun to run around in circles in the game's opening area, just like it was in the courtyard in Mario 64 uh, when you first get to the castle. And yeah, he coined, he coined the term toy factor, which I quite like, actually. Yeah, this is a very like powerful thing to try and emulate in a platformer because this was, I mean, still kind of in those early days where obviously Mario 64 is the name in platform in 3D platformers, but to capture specifically that feeling of when you first boot up Mario 64 and you're just in this open courtyard and there's no real enemies, there's just different terrain to run around on. That's really what Spyro the game is, is just if you had a whole game around the feeling of that open courtyard. Yes. Some other interesting stuff, some color theory actually. Spyro was originally green and then uh, the designers realized he blended in with too many of the levels. Well, yeah, if you want green grass, then your green character is not going to work. Especially the PlayStation, right, where you only have so many shades to work with. So they changed him to purple to make him stand out more, which was was a great choice because he is instantly recognizable to this day. I feel like a green dragon is a little bit more generic, so that's that was a... I mean, especially if choice. his name was still Pete, then a green Pete Pete's dragon <laughs> is very... <laughs> what is this? Yeah. Very copyrighted. Yeah, um, an interesting thing, this ties in with the LOD system. So the treasure, which is sort of your um, your kind of all-over-the-place collectible, like Mario's coins, those sparkle, 
and animate and twist around and you can see those sparkles from anywhere so they don't disappear the LOD system keeps that that sparkle in so even if you're all the way across a level you can see them sparkling across the map to make them easier to identify um, to the player at all times which again super smart if you're going to create a game like this right yeah if you have to collect i mean you have to collect all of them it would be like if mario 64 said okay you have to collect every single coin in the level but if you're halfway across the level you won't be able to see that there are coins over there so you'd just be wandering around aimless this way especially with their level design where it's very open vistas having the LOD say, okay, you could see a gem from the other side of the level. Then you're like, oh, I need to go over there to get that. And then one more for you. Uh, Spyro, he's a typical 90s platformer protagonist, which means he's got a little bit of toot. <laughs> and uh, after so after Spyro 1 came out, Insomniac got some blowback on that. So for Spyro 1 and 2, they wrote him to be a little more likable, and they recast his voice actor uh, to fit that mold. Which I find is interesting. So Spyro 1, Spyro is kind of wholly unique. And even in Reignited, they uh, recast Tom Kenny, who uh, plays him in Spyro 2 and, and 3, in Spyro 1. So Spyro 1, he's got a little bit of a, an attitude on the PlayStation. You can't really get anywhere else, which I find interesting. The other fun thing about that is they literally did the exact same thing a couple years later with the first Ratchet and Clank. <laughs> <laughs> Wild, where they just rewrote the characters for the sequels. Let Insomniac write a character with two. That's all they want. <laughs> they want... Some dude. The other interesting fact here is that the soundtrack to the game is composed by Stuart Copeland, who is the drummer for The Police, a very yes. popular 80s band, which is great. Like, I, I honestly think, um, and there was another quote I saw somewhere that Stuart Copeland still thinks very fondly about the soundtrack. He honestly considers it to be some of his best work. Yes. Um, I think it's also something where he, like, when he tours, he just plays the spyro soundtrack at his concerts it's that good to him yeah and it is um it's super i, I guess i've seen it described as like prog rock which yeah and it it's like prog rock with some like fantasy like it, it sounds like a fantasy like i don't know how to describe that <laughs> it's um it's super unique yeah it's but it still captures it's not like um, sort of grungy almost like I, I feel like that could fall into it still has a very nice cartoonish bounce to it and you can also tell that it was composed by a drummer because the percussion takes a big forefront to it where it has a lot of really interesting rhythms and different um, percussive instruments used throughout and um, yeah this soundtrack is really excellent give it a listen if you haven't yeah absolutely Well, let's talk about let's talk about some histories. What is your history of Spyro the Dragon? Um, my history of Spyro the Dragon began about a month ago. No, um, I grew up knowing about Spyro mostly because Dustin knew and loved it, um, but I never really played it myself. Uh, same with Crash; it was one that like uh, I was a Nintendo kid, so I didn't have those games available to me even though a couple are on GameCube, I just never bothered. But I always knew of it. Like, uh, Spyro was still a very important character to me as a kid. I just never played the game. So uh, the first time I played the game, 
I played the reignited trilogy version of one and that was like a month ago. <laughs> and then immediately after that, I played the PS one version. Uh, so I have played both and, uh, that's something that I'm only going to do for this episode for the other two one games that are in reignited trilogy. I'll only play the reignited trilogy versions, but, um, this one, I played both now, Dustin, you have a far more in-depth history with Spyro. Yeah. So I, I drug Connor along with this. I'm like, we gotta do Spyro. Uh, Spyro the dragon was the first video game I ever played. So I have a, I have a pretty large attachment to it, or at least it's the first video game I remember playing. I guess I can't say that for sure. Um, but, yeah, it was a um, it was a thing. I have this very distinct memory of uh, being at my grandma's house back in the day, and she had a, a neighbor in the backyard. So there was like you know two backyards facing each other. Who had a kid around my age um, who I'd go play with, and they had a PlayStation with Spyro on it, and that's how I was introduced to to Spyro. I I have no time frame on that. I don't know if this was like when Spyro came out, if it was a couple years later, I have no idea. I could not tell you. But I knew like like that was like where I started like obsessing and loving Spyro. And and you know, I, I originally got it for a Christmas or a birthday or something with a PlayStation and just played the living hell out of it. It is one of those games where like it's so funny because it's it's a game you can beat in an afternoon if you want, hundred percent. Like it's super quick. But as a kid, I I think it took me years to actually beat it, <laughs> you know? Like, I was that small where it was super hard for me. Um, I remember being stuck forever and never being able to make the, like, first, like, tutorial jump where it has you uh, sort of glide over to a ledge in the first Artisan's homeworld where there's a couple of gems and a live, and I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I remember that doing it and being so proud. So, yeah, Spyro Spar was very important to me. And I don't remember where I got this one specifically, but I, I know I absolutely loved it. And it was super important to me as a kid, as well as the other two in the initial trilogy. And, and actually, even the first, even Enter the Dragonfly, unfortunately. It, it is something that, led, like, dominated my childhood. Um, we talked about Sonic a couple months ago. That was after this. Um, and that wasn't as strong. Like, I, I, I just have such strong, like, attachment to that character and... Yeah, and it makes sense because he is a, a wonderful little dragon. <laughs> yeah, and it's honestly kind of shocking that it's taken me this long to play it. Um, Dustin said that he was dragging me along for this, and this was kind of the same um, situation when we did the Crash Marathon last year where I just had no experience with it. But it's a series that I always was curious in. You know, I grew up around <laughs> um, Spyro fans, I would say, so it's wild that it's just taken me this long to play it, but I am very excited to play the rest of them and very glad that I played this one. So let's uh, let's move on then to, well, actually, let's I'll, let's give a quick premise. It's it's not going to win any awards, right? It's a very simple story. It's a platformer, yeah. Yeah, and it is literally that. It is super focused on that. So literally, the premise is uh, there's a bunch of dragons, and they're on live TV. And they call the villain of the game Nasty Nork. They call they they talk a bunch of ugly, and they call him ugly. Yeah, and they say that they imprisoned him in another world, and he's not gonna break free. Bad move. And then uh, Nasty Nork freaks out, grabs his like cane hammer scepter thing, shoots a bunch of magic into the air, and then freezes all the dragons to crystal. But that magic misses Spyro because he's little, and now it's Spyro's job to go free all the dragons uh, and collect all the treasure. 
and find dragon eggs and beat Nasty York. That is your premise. That is the entire plot. <laughs> yep. Because spoilers, he beats Nasty Nork and gets all the treasure and saves all the dragons. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> yep, totally. Um, super simple, super, you know, it, it is what it is. It's just, it's, you know, it is your Mario save the princess style. <laughs> like, it doesn't really matter. You're here for the gameplay. But that's not to say that the characters and the writing doesn't have its moments. I find a lot of it a lot of the characters just really charming um especially in the reignited trilogy where they're all given um more unique models but even in the original where they still have a very similar blocky look to them uh they you know care about spyro and they talk to him and they've known him and um all the character designs still have a really charming look to them so it's not missing out on charm by not having a plot it just doesn't need a plot oh yeah um so so yeah let's move into um you know, or quote-unquote spoiler for your review or whatever. Your your first experience with Spyro, and you, you opted to play both versions with me, uh, what, what did you... How did you feel about it? Um, I really enjoyed it. I thought for sure it was going to be more platforming focused than it is. It is a platformer, but there isn't a whole lot of platforming that you'll do. Like the platforming is not really the main focus, I wouldn't say. I would say it's more about fighting enemies sporadically and just exploring a 3D space. Um, and I love that. I think it has a great, um, a great feeling of progression to just comb through an area and find all of the collectibles while not being super challenging. Like once you defeat an enemy, it's gone. So if you clear all of the enemies, then you're just wandering around looking for gems. And I find that very relaxing. Like I honestly think that I had a lot of fun just sort of playing this game in a very chill way where it's like, okay, I'm just going to sit and explore all of this level for a little bit like dustin said it's not super long uh it's not super challenging but it is rewarding i think like just seeing numbers go up obviously i'm a huge sucker for that but uh just knowing that you were able to do that i also find really rewarding i also think it would make a great kids game just because of its low challenge but really satisfying um gameplay and like, yeah, I think this was something that I was expecting more of a challenge from, but was not disappointed by its lack of challenge. Yeah, that's interesting. Because, um, it, yeah, it's, um, it, it is not focused on, on hard gameplay. It is not, fo- it is not like Crash, where Crash is trying to challenge you, um, or even Mario, where, where those ramp up in difficulty, intentionally so. Um, Spyro is more about the, the act of exploring levels, or, you know, at least giving the sense of exploring levels. A lot of them are pretty linear, but they don't feel linear in the moment, which is nice. Uh, and I think it is successful at that feeling. And you're right, it does a good job with combat. Very simple combat. Um, so to talk about specific gameplay stuff, the moves in your arsenal, you, you know, you move spiral around, you can jump. He cannot fly on his own, you have to glide, which I love in this kind of platformer. I think it's a kind of a brilliant design decision. It means that, like, 
your goal in basically every level is to get to the highest spot you can to glide down to a slightly lower spot. I think it was really smart and really opens up the level design in interesting ways. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of platformers when designing a moveset will fall back on a double jump as just a simple like, oh, well, it's a good move. You can jump twice. Uh, This one does not have that, but I think the glide is a lot more rewarding because you don't gain any height gliding. You just you get more distance for your jump. And I find that leads to very um, a very specific way at looking at a level and where collectibles are thinking about where you need to be to glide to an area. There's one level. It's one of my favorites in the game, actually, um, called Clifftown. And to illustrate this, Clifftown, you know, you start you start at the starting point of the level and you're in this this little, um, like, it looks kind of like a pub, Pueblo village kind of the theming and you know you, you run through that and then you get to the side of a of a mountain and you climb up it and um you look back where you've come from and there's a big river dividing sort of you know half the level and you can't glide across that liver just standing on the bank of it so to to get there you have to climb up all the way to the top of the cliff and look out to the other side and then glide all the way across the level to get there and it really kind of opens up the level design in a way and it may it it makes you feel like you've conquered a level when you get up to the top and then you're like, oh wait, there's more over there. I can go fly and check it out. Um, and I feel like there's a couple of level stages in particular that really shine in that sense uh, using the glide. Yeah, well, and this also applies to the hub worlds. Um, obviously, you know, hub worlds in a platformer can be pretty hit or miss. This is, the hub worlds are basically just another level. Like, it's wild that, they are even hover worlds at all because they just function exactly like a level and then your exits are just entrances to other levels it's a really interesting approach and and again this is the only spyro game that really does that the other ones have traditional hub worlds yeah they are there are functionally other levels with just enemies and stuff it's really weird uh but to talk about your other moves you have at your disposal your dragon so you have fire breath um, and the way that works, I, I like to describe it as sort of like a shotgun, if you're, you know, thinking of a shooter. Um, sort of arcs out in a cone, for a short cone in front of you. And you have a charge move. So Spyro's got horns, so you can charge forward. It also acts as a sprint if you want to move around faster um, to attack enemies. And the way those things work in tandem, it's very simple, but I find it to be very effective and engaging. It Just engaging enough. Like, it never complicates the gameplay too much. But also, like, the gameplay never gets boring in terms of combat. So the way it works is you basically have a couple different enemy types, um, but it really just boils down to two. And all you need to know is, is an enemy wearing metal? Super easy to identify on their character models um, uh, in both the PS1 version and Reignited. Uh, Because if they're wearing metal, fire is ineffective. It will not work on them. So you have Uh, to I love the detail of... If you use fire on a metal-wearing enemy, the metal will heat up but not, like, disappear. So even if you're not entirely sure if it is metal, when you use fire, it'll light up like, okay, no, that doesn't work. Just super cool. It does that in both versions as well. But, yeah, if they are wearing metal, then it clearly indicates that you have to charge into them to destroy it. Yeah, and that just creates a simple system where it's like, you don't have to overthink things, but you can't be mindless playing it um which i think is pretty satisfying and and creates a nice rewarding gameplay loop yeah it helps that it's also a very clear 
vision of the combat. Like, when you see an enemy, you can look at it and know what your strategy is going to be, and that's very clear from just the design. Yeah, and there are a couple of specialty enemies, you know, ones that maybe are wearing metal in the front and you have to wait for them to turn around, or some that take specific hits or change forms, but they're they're, they're, those are pretty rare and far between. Like, 90% of the enemies you fight, you you know, they're like this. And you might think, okay, well then, it's just going to be a similar enemy. No, every single level has a unique cast of enemies. Like, yeah, they can be taken down in a fairly similar way, but they all look completely different, and they have different animations and uh, sound effects, and uh, that, like level of work into just enemies that you are going to dispatch immediately i love i love that it does that yeah it's super like it it super speaks to like insomniac and the charm they put into their their game worlds and stuff ratchet and clank was always like this too where it's just like yeah you can pretty much always expect something new around the corner um even if it is an enemy wearing a different uniform it's still different and they behave differently and even on the PS1 version, you know, they might have funny little animations. You know, they might run from you or, you know, act differently. Or, like, one of my favorites is in the second hub world, they'll run hide in some tents. And if you flame those tents, they'll burn up and then they'll moon you if you walk away. <laughs> so good. And, yeah, if you look at it purely on a gameplay perspective, it's an enemy that you burn. Like, it's pretty much like a lot of the enemies in the game. But that level makes them stand out where you remember these guys because they do that. They run in the tents and then you can chase them down. Or some of them will have the cannon and they can shoot the cannon at you. And yeah, you're going to dispatch them the same way, but it's a very different gameplay and just character experience. Which is something that is baked into the design. I didn't put it up there, but a lot of the stuff I was reading was one of the core tenets of their design of the game was to create enemies that that felt like they were a part of that world and reacted to you. Uh, because a lot of games just, you know, they had either no enemy AI, like Crash, they just walk around and, you know, you just dodge them. Or it was like Mario where they just aggro and that was it. So one of their goals was to create more expressive personality in enemies, which I think is really interesting. And totally pays off. Yeah, mission accomplished. Um, So some of the other moves in your arsenal, you have a role, which I (laughs) never used. (laughs) Like, I knew that I had it. I just never found a use for it. There were, like, two enemies were just potentially useful, and you could just get around it with other ways. (laughs) It's it's a really, um, it's, it's not super useful. Tapping the shoulder buttons allows you to roll in that direction, and you can use it to, like, dodge attacks or... Yeah, that's pretty much it. I felt like you could jump over most of the attacks that you were going to dodge or just oh, yeah. like aggro it and then back up and then run forward. So pretty much Spyro 2 and 3 almost play identically. They add some stuff to the move arsenal, but this is the only move they take away, which is... Oh, okay. Fair enough. Like, except for Reignited, which just standardizes the controls. So don't worry, you will still be able to roll in Ripto's Rage. Oh, good. Okay. In Reignited. So, you know, reignited exclusive feature there. Um, yeah, it's not super useful. Um, in fact, I would say it's nine times out of ten most effective to just dodge them by jumping. <laughs> like, but then there are a couple of power-ups that sort of modify your moveset. The uh, more interesting one of the two is the supercharge, which occasionally you'll come across some floor paneling that has arrows on it. 
And if you charge on those arrows, you'll get a speed boost. And this will let you sort of charge through stronger enemies or break certain chests that you couldn't break before. And there's a couple levels or elements of levels that are designed around this, which I think is super interesting. And it, it, I really like it because I think it it's one of those platforming or just video game things of like, it feels like the ultimate test of your knowledge of the gameplay, specifically of the charging maneuver, where um, they speed you up a lot and then force you to run around courses, which I think is super smart from a gameplay perspective. And there are a couple of levels that utilize that in really interesting ways. Yeah, well, because you can also, you still jump, and when you can when you jump while supercharging, you get more height and distance than you would otherwise, especially if you jump off of a ramp. So you're going to use it to access different areas, but also it's going to test your knowledge of how you're going to platform to an area now that you have more speed and more distance. Yeah, really smart. I also kind of liken even just the regular charge, but especially the supercharge, something to like a racer, like a racing game, where you're not exactly drifting, but you are tightly navigating these courses while constantly moving forward. Um, it definitely has a rewarding feel to it when you do carefully navigate an area and then get a collectible at the end of that. It's it's a power-up technically, but it doesn't feel like one because it doesn't take away the challenge. In fact, it adds challenge, which I think is really interesting design-wise. The other one is a more traditional power-up. It's the Super Flame, and this allows you to shoot a fireball instead of the shotgun blast. So you can shoot across distances. And it's, you know, much like the Supercharge, it's very situational. You'll find a fairy in a level, and the fairy will kiss you. And, you know, Spyro will get all, get all embarrassed and be able to shoot fire. <laughs> and it's, be able uh, to shoot more fire of course yeah it's uh you know it, it's it's cute looking but yeah it's um I, I like it you know there there are a couple of stages that i do think use it well there's one in particular that has invincible enemies that can only be killed by that which is fun um but i, I don't think it's as satisfying gameplay wise as the supercharge yeah it's mainly just like it's a strict power up you get a stronger flame for most of them though it is limited so it's also, like you, if you have an area that you know you need to use this flame for, then you need to hurry over there before your power-up runs out, um, which is more interesting than just giving it to you. Yeah, that is true. One of my favorite things about this game, and I don't think a video game really successfully did this same thing all the way until Dead Space, so yes, I'm connecting Spyro and Dead Space, um, by really minimizing your HUD... And specifically by making your health meter part of the world. And they do that by having your little dragonfly friend who follows you around the entire game. His name is Sparks. He is your health meter. And you do tell that by the color he is. So he will either be gold, blue, green, or gone. And that is how you tell how much health you have. Gold being the most and uh, green being you only have one hit point left. Um, and then after that he is gone. Um, which is super cool, and I find that it really helps Spyro's HUD because it's very minimal, and the only parts of the HUD that show up are the parts you need at exact moments. So when you pick up a gym, the gym counter will show up, but then it'll go away. So it really gives you a clean image, which is nice, and I really appreciate that. And by the way, I'm comparing that to Dead Space because Dead Space is kind of known for having your health meter on the back of your character, which was super cool then too. Yeah, I think the bigger like comparison is Crash Bandicoot, where Aku Aku was your health, your how many hits you could take, and then 
you had very little HUD otherwise unless you needed it. So if you wanted to check how many boxes you break, you'd pull up the HUD, but otherwise it's not in the way. Uh, this function is very similar, except it will give you the information as you need it. So if you collect orbs for your health, then it'll, sh or for your lives, it'll show the lives counter. If you collect gems, it'll show the gems counter, that kind of stuff. This is good, but Sparks has another function in that he walks around and picks up gems as you run near them, which is really, it's a really great gameplay incentive thing because because he's your health bar, if you lose him, you lose that ability for him to, you know, kind of mop up the gems around you, which you don't realize until that happens how useful he actually is. Because having to manually pick up the gems is kind of a pain. Yeah, it increases the size of the gem pickup hitbox from just Spyro's model to like an area around Spyro. So if you don't have sparks with you, then you have to manually like step on each gem and it you really miss him. <laughs> like come yeah. back, Sparks, help me out. Which is really smart. Um, and the way you get health for Sparks is there are what are called fodder enemies all around. And I say enemies, they're usually just cute animals minding their own business. And then like an asshole, <laughs> you kill them. And then they're, they turn into butterflies and Spark eats them and gets healthier. Yeah, so and they, they're usually in packs as well. So you if you see a pack of small little creatures then you know, like, okay, that's where I can go get health. And I believe they also respawn. So if you're exploring a level and you are running low and you're like, okay, I need, I remember there's some over there, I can go over there and refill my health. Yep, and that adds to the more casual nature of the game. We, we, got, we kind of touched on collectibles, but I'll touch on them again. There's the dragons, um, which are the crystallized dragons, which will only fight a couple of those per level. And you sort of step on them, and then they, the crystal breaks, and they pop out, and they say something... 99% uh, of the time it is, thank you for releasing me. You probably have seen that meme. Uh, but sometimes they have more to it's say. It's not 99%, but it is quite a few of them. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. they will, though. They'll give a hint about the level. So like we mentioned in Clifftown, where you get to the top, when you rescue the dragon there, he'll, Spyro and that dragon will have a conversation. Spyro will be like, what's on the other side of that river? And then... Uh, the dragon that you just saved will be like, oh, well, why don't you glide over there and find out? <laughs> Saying, okay, here, player, you can glide over there. Like, you don't have to worry about it. So it, it's little stuff like that that's pretty helpful. Otherwise, yeah, it's just, thank you for releasing me. And then, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah they I mean, they, they act just little tutorials. And then also, where you rescue them is your save points as well. Um, so in the original game, you have just to step on them and select save the game, and then a fairy will pop up and save it. Um, in Reignited, they take the save system from 2 and 3 and import it here, which is really convenient because you don't have to pull up that menu. You just run past and the fairy zaps you and you've saved. Then you have treasure, which is the gems, and those are littered all over the levels. They're sort of your equivalent to Mario's coins or crashes. Well, they're not really like that, actually, um, because they don't give you lives when you get 100 of them. There is a limited number of them in each level. You can collect them all. It is required for 100% completion, and Sparks picks those up, and those can be in chests, or these weird spinny things. Like, there's several different varieties of chests in this game, which um, I, I think adds to the to the joys of the gameplay. Um, the chests can also be covered in metal, so you have to charge them, and they do set some of those up in fun ways where you charge a line of them, and that can be really satisfying. Yeah, and then all the gems fly into you. Very, very good. And then there's chests that you have to flame and they spin around real fast, so you have to keep flaming them. Um, there's a weird one where you have to 
flame it and the gem will shoot up in the air and you'll have to jump up and catch it, which is weird. So, yeah. And then also you get treasure from enemies, which is why the enemies don't respawn. There's only a limited number of them, so you kill an enemy and then they uh, become treasure for you to pick up. And I believe it's one of those, like, the manual says that the enemies that Nasty Nork has turned treasure into enemies. I don't think that's referenced anywhere else, but... No, it is. It's referenced in is the it? opening cutscene. That's one of the interviewer's questions. Like, oh, I you're right. Nasty Nork can turn gems into, or, into warriors. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so you pick up them. Um, there's dragon egg, eggs, which are found with dragon egg thieves. And these are kind of iconic to the series, actually. These little dudes in blue cloaks who run around with the eggs and they, they say and you have to chase them around. Um, again, much like the charge pads throughout the levels, I really like that because I think they sort of reward you knowing the level design and uh, yeah, adapting. Yeah, and being able to navigate it as quickly as possible to catch up to them. Yeah, they're, uh, those guys are fun. Uh, not as many as those throughout the game. Um, you know, that'll come into play in Spyro 3. Which is nice. Um, and then the last collectible is life orbs. And these do act like your wampa fruit or your coins in Mario. Um, you collect a certain number of them. And you get a life. And the only way you can get these is if you return to an old level. And kill an enemy you've killed before. Because the enemies will respawn on return visits. Just not while you're there at the same time. Then you'll get one of these like little life orbs. And they'll go to your life counter. And you get, like, 20 of them or something, and you get a new life. Yeah, so it's... I really like that feature as well, because when you're revisiting a level, if you're like me, and you're like, oh, I just missed something, I better just charge through it as fast as possible, there's still incentive to, you know, fight the enemies, because you can still get extra lives off of them. Yeah, totally. It, it is a game that accesses new worlds and, you know, progressing the level behind... Um, certain thresholds of things you need to collect everyone is you know a different collectible um it's interesting we were talking about this earlier it's if you were combing through these levels it is impossible to even see these progression gates <laughs> they are so yeah. low the first time i played this game i was just 100 percenting the levels as i went and if i didn't 100 percent it then i wouldn't leave Right, which the game actively encourages you to do. Yeah, and it's rewarding to do so as well. But that means you will never see these uh, collectible gates ever. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really funny. They're just they're they're like laughably low. Um, which you know is not a bad thing. Certainly, it's just it's like it's something you won't know is there if you play it for the first time now. Probably, I, I think you said you were doing trying to just run through, do a little bit of a minimal run on your second playthrough. And you hit the 50 dragons one. Yeah, I was intentionally, without knowing how many I needed to beat the game, uh, I was just trying to get as few as possible. Um, so I did hit the 50 dragon wall, and I think I only had like 20 maybe. <laughs> but that's because I was intentionally playing the game wrong. So if you're playing it casually, even if you don't collect everything, you're probably going to be fine. Yeah, 100%. Do you want to know what the requirements are anyway? Yeah, why don't we, why don't we let the people know? Since you'll probably never see them. Uh, the first gate requires you to have 10 dragons. Okay, cool. Um, pretty easy to find. Second one is 1,200 treasure. Uh, treasure is everywhere. You should have that mount. 
The third gate requires you to have five dragon eggs. Fourth gate requires 50 dragons. And then the last gate requires 60 or 6,000 treasure. Um, all of those are the only one that comes close to being the only one that's over half of the total is the dragons. Yep. Um, and there are 80 dragons in, in the game. So for my, so I, I kind of just slapped this in between our, our reviews. I, I find it very hard to talk about this game critically. I'm not going to lie <laughs> because I, I do love it. It's very special to me. Um, I think it's one of those games that's just very good at most everything it does. I think maybe the biggest criticism you could levy against it is it doesn't really change up gameplay very much. It does have these sort of special levels throughout where you do um, their, uh, their like flying courses. So Spyro can fly around all he wants in these levels, but they're timed obstacle. Like you have to get this certain number of items, fly through these rings, you know, get these things. Um, but that's kind of the only ways in which it changes up the gameplay. The core gameplay of charging and flaming and collecting, that's the same all the way throughout. For me, I think that's a bonus. I love platformers like this. This was the game that instilled that love of platformers like this in me. So I'm like, yeah, whatever, bring it on. I love it. So I'm not going to lie. It is kind of hard for me to see those flaws. Yeah, I think my only flaw with this game would be um, there's a handful of enemies that I feel are a little tricky to like see their patterns um those being the dogs and the gunners um like those were the two that gave me some trouble um and then the other like complaint dogs, for the this hardest game, enemy in the game it's in the first I know, right? <laughs> my other complaint is that it, it can be a little too simple like if you're looking for something with a little more challenge or maybe you're used to more challenging platformers like you've already played all the crash bandicoot games uh this might leave you a little disappointed but um, it is aiming for something else, and I feel like it nails that. So if you're on board with that target of just, like, exploring and um, finding collectibles and doing some light platforming, then that target is very much hit. <laughs> if you're looking for something challenging, then it's probably not going to be this one. Um, yeah, But that's, totally. like, my ma only main complaint, really. Yeah, um, I think... It does have, speaking of those dogs, I think it does have some weird, like, sort of misplacing of enemies and even a whole level at one point, where I feel like a level in the fourth world, which I'll talk about later, I feel like that level should be in the last world. It's, so this, there can be a little bit of weird difficulty spikes, which, you know, I think makes sense given this is Insomniac's first platformer. So you, you get a little bit of those growing pains there. But again, nothing in this game is so hard that I think it's, you know, like, ridiculous. It's, um, you know, for the most part, it's pretty simple. Um, I think most people, a, a big complaint with this game for most people are the boss fights. Oh, yeah. What boss fights? Because <laughs> they're not really boss fights. Yeah. They're, um, they're kind of just like bigger enemies that take more hits that kind of force you down more of the level. Um, but even that, I'm like, again, I like the platforming in the level, so I don't really care. <laughs> Yeah, I was expecting going into a boss room in this game, uh, knowing nothing about it, I expected to go in and then maybe there's like an intro cutscene and they show up and then you fight them in a little arena and then you win. No, they're basically just other levels. <laughs> and then yeah, they're basically just more levels with slightly more powerful enemies. Um, well, there's just like one tough enemy and you hit him 
throughout the stage like usually they take three or four hits but you do each of those hits at a different part of the level so it's like okay i got that and then that unlocks the door to the next part of the level and i do that section and so like the pacing is a little bit split up to the rest of them but i wouldn't consider it a boss fight yeah totally I think there was an achievement on the PlayStation 4 version where you beat the first boss without taking any damage. And I got that first try because I was like, oh, I didn't. Okay. All of the bosses have that. And yeah, it's um, it's very simple. So because of that, I, I, I can talk about the reignited version a little more critically um, because it is separate to me. It does feel like a separate game at some points. Um, but I do want to talk about some differences. Because I think that's interesting. Um, aside from the, you know, the graphics and the added, you know, like voice acting and the added production stuff. That obviously comes with a modern remake. This version adds skill points into Spiral 1. Which, if you don't know, skill points are basically sort of proto-achievements that Insomniac did in their old games. Spyro 2 and 3 have them. And all of the Ratchet games have had them. And uh, in Spyro 2 and 3, they are, they are secret at first, and I don't think you you have access to them until you beat the game. You can still unlock them, but they don't tell you what to do. Uh, but in, in, in these versions, they, they tell you there's a menu, you can go look them up. And so they, they add some skill points into Spyro 1, and they basically, most of them just amount to, yeah, don't get hit by a boss, or find a secret item in the level. Super simple stuff. Or jump on this platform. Yeah, or ride a platform for 10 seconds, which is probably the dumbest one. But yeah. Um, My favorite one is uh, charge through all four of the enemies in a line. Like, yeah. I love that one. Yeah, that one's great. So super simple stuff. And that stuff in this game, it, it unlocks some concept art, um, which is, you know, nice. But, you know, some little challenges there. Um, this, as I said earlier, influenced the checkpoint system from Spyro 2 and 3. Which is really nice. Uh, adds co- Tom Kenny as the voice actor this time around for all three games instead of just the last two, which is great because you know that's the only role that guy's been known for. Don't know about anything else he's ever done. Most interestingly, and I think most controversially, changes to uh, Nort Cove, which is one of the last levels in the game. Um, <laughs> it is a level that features the Norks, so the bad guys, and it gives them uh, real ass guns. <laughs> In the original okay, PlayStation on. version? I want to double back on Tom Kenny real quick. <laughs> what? Um, you know? said you didn't know what Tom Kenny voiced? I was joking. Okay. He's the voice of some stupid sponge. Um, but... <laughs> okay. I was I was throwing him like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, Sorry, Nor- yeah, guns? <laughs> the enemies in Norcove have guns and grenades. And um, for Reignited, they... They changed those to be sort of like uh, like goo guns, and um, I forget what they changed the grenades to. But yeah, so they sort of splatter goo all over the place instead of shooting bullets. Yeah, it was wild playing the PS1 version after the PS4 version, because yeah, those are real guns. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a tonal shift. It's definitely a memorable level um, for that reason. Uh, but yeah, they changed that. That was a little bit of a controversy, um, as well as some stuff in Spyro two that also got changed which we'll talk about next time around uh this one you know i have a little ambivalence on it i feel like yeah i guess it is changing an element but the gameplay is the exact same so i don't really mind that much personally one i don't i don't i think they're 
keeping that like honestly i feel like the guns were not anachronistic to the tone of the game so to keep things a little more cohesive i understand the change yeah definitely they added sort of more uh, dynamic soundtrack elements so if you are like inside of an area it'll add some you know a a little bit of like reverb to the to the track to make it sound like it's echoey um if you're charging and add some percussion in the background so you know nice little features not groundbreaking by any means but interesting now i didn't check the options but does it have an option for the original version it does okay that's very good too yeah and then um uh, interestingly, and I put Spyro 3 in our notes, but I've actually just been playing Spyro 2 for the next episode, and it was introduced here, so I was wrong about that. It it adds um, Spyro 2 system of killing fodder enemies when you have full health. If you kill uh, 10 of them, it actually just gives you an extra life, so it kind of incentivizes you to go after them at all times. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah, wow. I didn't They don't know get that. a break. And yeah, I think, so Reignited as a version, I think it's a great version of the game. Um, personally, if, if that's how you want to play the games, I think it is, it's modernized. It looks really nice. It's super pretty. Oh, and the animation is insane. Like, um, I was mentioning how they have, you know, similar blocky models for all the dragons. That is the complete opposite in Reignited. They each have unique props and different uh, animations and voices and uh, personalities that come through and just the amount of work that mi- went into making every dragon unique with their own like group of um aesthetics that alone is insane but the rest of the game i think lives up to that level of quality too it's really it's really gorgeous first of all but also it's plays really well and plays pretty similar to the ps1 version <laughs> Oh, yeah, it is almost um, identical in, in level layout and stuff like that. And, yeah, I think it was really gorgeous. I think it stays true to, you know, the design of that game. Um, it obviously takes liberties with the visuals, but you kind of have to. <laughs> These blocky PS1 models don't, you know, wouldn't translate one-to-one exactly. So I think they've done a great job with that stuff. You know, it's Toys for Bob. It's a lot of the same people who worked on Crash 4, which we praised last year for animation quality and stuff like that. And it's very similar here, which is really nice to see. Yeah, I think the only thing that this version of Spyro Run and Reignited does worse is the charging. Yes. Um, Now, mind you, this was something I didn't realize until this playthrough of both games, because I've never played both of them side by side like this. And I've heard people complain about the charging and Reignited for years at this point since it's been out. Um, and I always kind of took that as like, I don't know, get good, guys. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> it's fine. Playing this back-to-back with the original PlayStation release, the charging is absolutely worse. <laughs> yeah, and um, to be fair, it is fine. It is entirely doable, yep. but the turn radius is a lot um, a lot slower <laughs> in the Reignited, which can make some sections a little trickier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it is one of those things where, like, I played the PlayStation version first, you know, did all the charging sections in one go, never failed once, reignited, failed a bunch of times. So it's like, there's a direct comparison. I'm like, okay, I was wrong about this. This this is definitely a little worse. But, you know, it is what it is. Again, I think if you don't have that um, knowledge, if you don't have that comparison, you're probably not going to notice. It'll be a little bit harder, but again... 
this game's really generous with lives and checkpointing, and so, like, it's not a big deal, honestly. Oh, yeah, and one of the levels that has the supercharge, like, a mandatory supercharge section, um, has a bottomless pit that doesn't kill you. Yes. It just puts you back at the start of the charge, so, like, that's really generous. Yeah. Um, the only thing I'd say that is actually a super big detriment is occasionally the charge will glitch out. I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but sometimes you'll just lose all your momentum for, like, no reason, <laughs> which is... Huh. Yeah, I don't think I had that. Yeah, I don't think it's, like, super repeatable, but it has happened to me. I've also played this game, like, literally ten times. I'm not joking, and that's probably actually underselling it, so I probably see this stuff more than average people, but yeah, um... In Reignited, it can occasionally, like, you just lose all your momentum and fail a charge, which is a little frustrating. But, yeah, other than that, I think Reignited is a fantastic version of Spyro 1 specifically. Um, and if you want to go that route, it's totally valid to play that. Um, um, which version of Reignited would you recommend over the others? Um, if you have a nice PC, obviously that. I think playing at 60 is really nice. Um, that being said, there is one level in Reignited. It's Alpine Ridge with a bunch of the, the ground moving around and stuff. Um, specifically that level has like level geometry that transforms. Um, there's a set of steps that transforms into a slide right at the beginning. So you'll notice this right away at higher frame rates, that stuff breaks. <laughs> um, oh, oof. because the animation is tied to the frame rate, which sucks. Super easy to fix on PC. You don't even have to reload anything. You just go to the settings and change the frame rate to 30 and it works. But just keep that in mind. For that level in particular, you'll have to play at 30. Um, not a big deal. Easily fixable in the game. But but yeah, and I still recommend the PC version um, pretty much wholeheartedly. It looks really good. Um, can't play an ultra wide, which is a shame, but, you know, it, it's fine. I, I would say, like, if you... It, it's hard because if you want to play it portably, I think the Switch version is good. Um, but I think all those problems that we have with the charge turn radiation... Those get magnified to be even worse when playing with the Joy-Cons. So, you know, just a heads up on that. You might have a little bit more frustration on that system. Um, and then specifically with Spyro 2 and 3 later on, there are some levels that tax it a little more and the frame rate can get a little choppy. Um, still a great version of it. And these games work super well as portable titles. So, you know, if you, if you want to go that route, I, I think it is worth it. But just be aware. Um, there, are, there are a couple of problems with it. Yeah, you could see why I asked Dustin this question because he has all of the versions. <laughs> I do, except uh, not the Xbox version yet. <laughs> yeah, but you have two copies of the PS4 version, so that counts. Guys, that's how much I like Spyro. <laughs> this <laughs> game. I was going to save this for later so I didn't blabber on, you know, talk about doing Spyro 2 or 3. But when this game got announced, Reignited specifically, it got announced in a really cool way. It got announced um, through Crash Insane Trilogy. The original Spyro has a cheat code um, where if you put it in the main menu, you get to play a demo of Crash Warped. And then vice versa, in Crash Warped, if you put in a code, you can play a demo of Spyro, of Spyro 1. Yeah, so they updated Crash Insane Trilogy one day in 2018, and if you put in that code, you got the trailer for this. And Oh, that's um, so cool. I did it not was mind-blowing. It <laughs> ruled. I, it happened in the morning, and I had to go to class. Um, and I watched oh, no. it like nine times in my apartment, just sitting there watching it over and over again. Uh, by that point, they had uploaded it to YouTube, so I got on the bus. I'm just watching it on my phone, you know, casually tearing up <laughs> like an idiot <laughs> on the bus on the way to my college campus. Because <laughs> like, um, it's Spyro, man. Come on. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great day. Yeah, and then I 
I pre-ordered the game physically. I wanted a physical copy because I wanted that feeling of like opening a new Spyro game and being super excited about it. And um, then the uh, day before, I was like, it's going to come out 10 o'clock my time on digital. I'm going to be super upset. And so I just bought the digital version too. <laughs> so I <laughs> That's why you have two copies of the PlayStation version. I have, I have an unopened physical copy of the PlayStation version. Because <laughs> you got it and already had it. Yeah, and then they then they put it on Switch and PC, and I bought those versions. So there you go. This is the de- level of dedication to Spyro we're talking about here. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm that guy. Um, so yeah, big, big Spyro fan. So yeah, if you want a portable version anyway of Reignited, the Switch version's fine. Just it has a little bit more issues. If you want the best version, PC version. Um, but PS4 version's no slouch. It's it's a good version. Um, you just it'll play at 30. Unfortunately, even on a PS5, never got like a frame rate patch. Also, semi-frustrated with that version for never implementing any HDR because it would look gorgeous, and I think that's upsetting, but whatever. <laughs> it's just me. These are very small nitpicks for a pretty fantastic game. Yeah, and gorgeous game, um, even without that stuff. So, yeah, let's. Uh, we're going to get into more some more specific conversation. So, you know, if you want to duck out, duck out. Um, you know, spoiling some level gimmicks, I guess, but I, I really don't think you're you have to be too worried about spoilers with this one, much like the Crash games. But hey, if you really want to play it without without uh, hearing us talk about it, get out now. We're gonna talk about it. Yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter and all that. It's in the description. Yada yada yada. All right, favorite dragon. Oh, favorite dragon. Um, you know I'm not going to remember any of these names. <laughs> That's okay. I'll I'll take a description. The one that has a bunch of magical cards floating around. Oh, okay. Um, also the beefy bartender. <laughs> the beefy bartender. The one with the mug in his tail. Oh, you're talking about Gavin. Yep. The Gavin's... coffee mug and the. Yeah, he's my favorite. Oh, he's so good. Yeah, he's great. Um, I'm also a big fan of Cletus, who is the one in, um, I believe, Terrace, Terrace Village, when he's you rescue him and he pops out and he's laying on his side. Oh, yes. Very, very good. Yeah, he's he's great. Oh, another favorite is the one that bakes Spyro a cake as, for, as he comes out. Oh, that one's good, too. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the artisan dragons are, are pretty top tier. All right, favorite level. Let's, let's talk about a real question here. A real question. Um, I don't know. There's, They're all really good. I think um, it might be Clifftown. Yeah, Clifftown is a banger. I, I think that level really demonstrates everything that, that, that Spyro is good at. Yeah, I think exactly. I had a lot of fun with um, several of the flying levels, particularly I think the, um, the first one, just because that was what introduced that mechanic. Um, Sunny Flight. Some of the other ones like high caves i really like and and then you know the big treetops of course yeah i think it's tied to um you know me being a kid and stuff like that so it being the one i spent the most time in um but like for a lot of these games the first level is my favorite um so like stonehill i absolutely adore i think it's because like that level always felt in the playstation 1 version in particular it always felt weird like like i was breaking the game for some reason 
because like getting up above the the main course of the level and being up on the on the side of the hill um with that uh, invisible fence thing yeah that's not something that's normally done (laughs) yeah it just like felt like i was like outside of the bounds of the level which was cool i don't know i always have like a like a like i always think that level is just like really cool and neat well that's really cool to demonstrate the playstation one technology because in any other game it would those walls would be there so that you don't see too much of the level or render too much at once but here spyro is flexing on him by just being like oh you're up here and you can see like everything and also like our really pretty skyboxes yeah the skyboxes in these games didn't mention it before but the skyboxes are like unreal and even on the on the radar that you know they're gorgeous but on playstation one they're so unique yeah, I, I really I really like Stonehill. It's the music in Dark Hollow though is a vibe. Oh yes, and I love the aesthetic of Dark Hollow too. Yeah, and Reignited I think it's so inspired to make it a library. Like it's really cool. Um, I believe Dark Passage is the other one that was um that's the one where it's like caves. Yeah. Like a tiered cave system, yeah. I really yeah. like that one too. Yeah, that one's really With the neat tricksters looking. that change the size of the enemies. Yeah, that's a cool architecture in that one, too. And like a lot of these, like half the level is blocked off by a secret entrance that you have to find. Like, you just don't, like if you're just blasting through it, you'd miss a lot of this game. Yeah. I think it's a little infamous to some people. I've always really liked Misty Bog. It's the only level in the PlayStation version that features heavy amounts of fog. And it's an aesthetic choice, you know, obviously, given the name. But that level's always yeah. It's like it's like we don't have to have fog, but we're gonna anyway. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cool level. It has some of the roughest enemies in the game, though. Um, with the attack frogs that hit you with the tongues and the guys that run at you. Yeah, the attack frogs did not bother me. The guys that run up and eat you, I did not like those guys. <laughs> those guys scared me as a kid. <laughs> Legit yeah, scared they're, me. They're terrifying on the PS1 yeah. version. They're awful. Uh, that level also features one of my favorite little animations in the PS1 version and Reignited. Um, where if you run around the back, it's actually, you can see it in two different places, but at the start of the level, if you run around to the back of the starting area, if you let the fodder chicken run around, there's a nork there with like a trap, like a stick trap or a box and a stick and you, you know, stick moves and you trap the chicken and he traps the chicken and he gets all excited. Um, <laughs> I didn't know it did that. I just ran up and burned his trap. Oh yeah. You monster. Yeah. There's two of those <laughs> in that level and it, it, I love it. Um, if you just wait level... around, he'll actually catch one. Yeah. That level is really infamous for the um like this room of death basically where it's filled with a bunch of the norks with armor so you can't flame them. Um so you have to charge them, but also there's a bunch of attack frogs there too. It's like 10 enemies in the small room. So it's like you're going to take damage no matter what you do. Yeah, because you can't charge the attack frogs, you have to flame them, but you can't flame the armor guys, you have to charge them. So <laughs> you're caught between trying to do everything and it's a small area. It's a pretty evil room. <laughs> That level does feature, though, two different lines of, of Norks that you can charge, which is super fun. Yeah, charge all the way through, like, ten very of them. Satisfying. Very good. Yeah. Yeah, very, very good. I want to talk about Treetops, because I think Treetops is one of the best levels in the game. I think it is misplaced in the game. I think it should literally be the last level. But Yeah, it's wild, because, I mean, the base level part is, like, not too bad. It's fairly challenging compared to some other ones, but... It's not terrible, but when you get to the end, you realize, oh, I missed, like, all of this. And in order to get there, you have to do the most insane, like, charge jumps ever. Oh, it's wild. But, again, I think it is another example of 
it's a level that does everything Spyro does right, where it's a massive area with lots of glides, but more importantly, lots of charging and charging as platforming. It uses the supercharge throughout the whole level, and it's it's rough and it's a weird. It's just weird because it comes you know over a little over halfway through the game. It is the hardest level in the game, hundred percent for sure. It it should be the last level of the game. It's it's kind of interesting placement there. But I think that level is absolutely brilliant, and you're right, it is insane what they ask you to do. <laughs> it's the only part of the game I would describe as challenging, because having to supercharge around the whole thing is, is really hard, And but I, I like it because you can you can kind of break some of it and do it your own way if you figure out, like, oh, if I jump here in this unconventional way, like halfway up this ramp instead of all the way, I can quickly move to the side and get to this other part of the level, and then you know, do this early instead of having to run around the whole thing. Like, it's got a bunch of really cool techniques like that. And for that reason, I really like treetops. Yeah, and finding the routes, because it is something that, like, especially with the arrows that charge your supercharge, kind of pointing you in a direction, and then, you know, leading you towards the end, then thinking outside of the box of being able to use a supercharge to then, like, go around to other parts and then figuring out a route that will lead you with your supercharge to a spot that you can jump to where you want to go. Yeah. It can be really confusing, but if you were to just sit down and like maybe even have like a paper map of the level and just draw it out, like (laughs) that could be really good. I resorted to just looking it up because it was very, (laughs) I was very confused. Um, But yeah, actually being able to pull off the jumps is very satisfying. It's fantastic because they like, you like look off at a little island all over there like how am i supposed to get over there and so like it, it's it's really good i'm i'm a big fan of that level it gets a lot of hate but i think it's i think it's just misplaced honestly i feel like if it was the last level in the game it would be viewed differently anything else you want to call out oh high caves you were talking about high caves and the the bottomless pit that the fairies save you on yeah that is a really cool level because it's it's unique and it's got this Ugly. spider so spiders also scared me as a kid <laughs> Oh my god, on the PlayStation version, they're so scary. Yeah, they're awful. They're all metal. You can't charge them. They're invincible unless you get the power-up. And the power-up is so short that, like, you're going ha- to be running back and forth. It's, it's scary. Well, you can't get all the spiders with the power-up because you just can't get there in time. So some of them you have to kill with the supercharge. Yeah. And, but, like, ah, oh, they're so scary. And they and yeah, run at you fast. Yeah, caves is kind of hard. It's, it's a... It's a good level, though. Um, it's got those, and it's also got the other areas. So, like, it's it's one of those levels where you start, um, and it sort of bucks the more linear trend, and it you have two choices. You can either go to the left or to the right, and the right is the caves with the scary spiders, and the left is a way that takes you up a little mountain, and you have to dodge uh, whirlwinds and uh, kill some enemies up there, and you glide um, you know, throughout the level, and you get to the part with the... or it loops back around on itself. Um, and it's it's a great level, and it also has some great uses of the supercharge um, of getting around and figuring it out. Um, is there anyone you want to mention specifically that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I believe it's Lofty Castle also has a good supercharge jump. A um, little easier to like actually tell what you're supposed to do than treetops, but still is pretty tricky. I would, it took me a couple tries on the reignited version, but yeah, it's the one where you have to go around the building. That one's great. It's the only level in the game where you can get a, a permanent for the level um, Super Flame. <laughs> was that not in Haunted Towers? Am I mixing those two up? Um, I'm probably mixing them up too. One of I, them, yeah, I think it is the same where 
you can get a permanent flame upgrade for the rest of the stage. I think that is Haunted Towers. Yeah, my bad. Um, yeah, it's the one with, like, invincible suits of armor that come alive. Um, yeah, God, this, this game has so many enemy types. It's great. <laughs> but, yeah, that getting the super the permanent super flame that level is super fun, too, because you have to run past a bunch of suits of armor as they're activating. I always find that really satisfying and invigorating. Um, yeah, um, one of the first times I did it, I did get stuck in in a wall when it activated oh no. and pushed me into it. I was like, "All oh right, no. I guess I'll just wait to die." Oh, <laughs> so sad. Yeah, that, I I really um, like that that level quite a bit. Yeah, I I gotta say too, shout out to this game having a hundred percent completion level. I always appreciate that in these kinds of games, and not a lot of them do it, <laughs> which. Uh, is always a shame but nasty's loot is super cool and you know it's it's the only sort of collection collectathon stage that lets you fly as well which is fun yeah this is obtained by getting everything except for the last two thousand gems right which are in this level and it's a it's a really satisfying level because the only gems you get are the ones that are worth 10 and 25 well yeah they have to fill the level 2000 so (laughs) yeah but it gives you a lot of satisfying feedback because those numbers just bounce around, um, which is really fun. And yeah, the gimmick of flying around the level is super cool. It's super weird. They never really communicate to you how it works, which is like the higher up you get increases the height you can fly around. Um, so you have to platform up there to be able to fly. So you have to get keys to unlock doors and stuff like that. But it's a fun level and it has a really satisfying... There are these like fireworks chests and um, you at the end of the level there's like like 15 of them all bunched up together so you do them all at once they all explode and it's all a bunch of purple gems which are the highest value and you collect them all and then you get a bunch of numbers bouncing around the room it's great it's also in reignited they dress it up to be nasty norks like area which is cool yeah it's his treasure hoard and you're just stealing it yes and you get a bunch of like motivational posters on his wall yeah because in the original um for the opening cutscene, it has nasty nork standing just in his boss room like where he spawns for the boss and then he says his voice lines or whatever but in reignited he's just chilling in his room watching the tv and like you see his posters and they're all you know inspiring for evil deeds and whatever and um you can then go into that room and nasty's loot okay we need to talk about this so let's spin a picture right nasty nork exiled for some reason, we don't know why. Um, nasty Ganork. Nasty Ganork. But we know he's you know he's industrious, so we know he's a worker. You know he's got a whole he's got a whole harbor. <laughs> he's, you know, he's an employer, right? Of weird gem monsters. You know, he's, he's probably coming off of a hard day of work. He sits down. He turns on the TV. He's gonna relax, watch some news, see what's up, current events. Sees this interview with these asshole dragons. And that these dragons him. immediately start talking ugly. about how <laughs> how he's a prison and how ugly he is. I don't know. I think there might be another side to the story is all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, like, but he also gives his, his henchmen AK-47s. <laughs> what are you going to do? These dragons, <laughs> they could come for you any minute. But, but on the other side of that, these dragons, what are they playing with? Why are they talking so much? Ugly! <laughs> They, this one can freeze you to crystal at any point, and the only reason you made it through this is because the crystal missed the 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 one child dragon, the the one. 
child dragon yeah also how is he able to cast his crystal spell from exile like i would think if you're exiling someone you take that power away from them you would think but he is that powerful so why are you playing around with this why 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 are you even why'd you give him a tv <laughs> like what you're just playing with fire it's it's ridiculous Another point I want to make up of just weird inconsistency. Why is there no female dragons? That, that's the other thing. You're f***ing around with this all-powerful being who could who could freeze you at any point and literally end your race. <laughs> You're you all male dragons. Extinct. There's one child and a bunch of eggs. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you dummies. You big dummies. The dragons just, they're just not very smart. <laughs> <laughs> they're too busy thinking about their beast crafting magic crafting worlds and not the fact that you shouldn't taunt the dude you exiled idiots all of them on live idiots. tv it's great um you, you saw the 100 percent cutscene, right yes uh i saw it on reignited not on the original i love that they're playing basketball with the sheep it's one of my favorite <laughs> dumb little things it's it just gets that me poor sheep. It. Like every cutscene that is in the game, he's like being tormented somewhere in the background. It's um, it's that like playing around with dragon lore, right? The sheep and the 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 treasure hordes and stuff like that. I, I it's super cute. Is there anything else we left out? I think we. Um, I will say the one thing that is worth playing the original PS One version for is the gem animation. <laughs> um, in the PS One version, when you leave a level all the gems that you had come out of this chest and float around the screen and then go into a different chest it is a legitimate downgrade to reignite yeah why is that not reignited it is so dumb i don't know it's so satisfying like everything you collected in that level just flies across the screen it's also i love in the original spyro how the camera tracks you the whole time when you're in a hub world and you run through a portal and the camera just flies around you Uh, it just looks super clean and nice yeah, I mean, that's also added to the fact that the PS1 version has pretty short load times. Yeah, shorter than Reignited had, at least on launch. I mean, Reignited even still, um, and I was playing it off of a PS5, it was still, like, I mean, it was fairly lengthy. It wasn't ta- it wasn't terrible, but they were noticeable. On the PS1 version, you jump in and then, like, maybe five seconds pass at most, and then you're, the camera tracks you all the way through, and then you fly into the level. They did add interactable loading screens in the reignited version, though. So you can make oh, Spyro yeah, move you can around and flap around and shoot fire. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's nice. It's not as nice as having the gym fly across the screen, though. I'm going to be honest. I'd rather have that. Um, yeah, come on. I love the level flying ins, too. Like, the, the one for treetops is great because most of the time he does a loop de loop and lands on the level. And in treetops, you just fly onto the level like the camera's head onto him. It's like like ominous it's great <laughs> well the level's so tall he doesn't need to loop-de-loop down to the ground it's just right there yeah just yeah, stop flying a, and you're there it's a nice little touch i, I gotta say we're yeah. talking about the bosses i'm a big fan of metal metalhead though shout out to metalhead oh yeah metalhead's yeah, metalhead's great fun i love that he throws all the littler enemies at you yes of course it's, it's very nice um and i like his level it's fun to explore oh yeah i love the them having like the smaller enemies where they're like experimenting on him yeah and you're in like a test room and then he escapes 
yeah, it's um, it's it's pretty good. We will uh, we will continue with the series. We are playing Spyro one two three uh, Into the Dragonfly, unfortunately, and A Hero's Tale. So we got lots of Spyro coming for you in the future. And maybe, please, yeah, <laughs> another maybe. one. I'm not gonna, you know, Activision current events at Activision seem to indicate no. But hey, maybe we can dream. You can dream. Um, this will be a five or possibly six game marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned to the feed. Um, if you're interested in platformers, earlier in the year we played uh, Sonic Adventure 1 through Sonic 06. <laughs> um, so you could you could check out that series. Then we also played Crash Bandicoot 1 through 4. Um, we skipped a bunch of the stuff in between, which we'll, we'll pick up someday later. So if you're interested in that stuff, check back in the feed. We got a bunch of episodes for you. You know, if you're interested in, in other genres, we've done other things. I think the game before this we did was Fury, um, sort of an action game there. Um, we play all kinds of stuff. And on the off weeks in between these episodes, we do a, a secondary podcast called Save Station Report, which is more current events and stuff we're playing outside of the review show. Um, so check that out if you're interested. And if you'd like to keep up with the show, keep up with updates, uh, if an episode gets delayed or whatever, that is on Twitter. You can follow our account at SaveStationPod on Twitter. And Connor, where can the people follow you? You can follow me at ConiferSSR. Um, yeah, just playing some other stuff, posting my Final Fantasy <laughs> screenshots. I probably still will be. Uh, where can they find you? They can find me at Dustin H. Dragon. Yes, that is a Spyro the Dragon thing um, <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah, hit us up. Let, let, let us know what you think. You know, for a report, let us know what you're playing. Um, yeah, and, you know, uh, I, I hope you enjoyed the show, and please remember to always be good to each other. Yeah, and take care. Bye. Thank you for releasing me, Spyro.